0: how is it going everybody so welcome to the first episode of season two of lawrence harvey's cyber sit down podcast um every month i along with my colleagues will be speaking to different executive leaders within the security space uh speaking about different topics they will range from how to scale a security program you know what's going on in the job market the different technologies we should be looking after and then we'll be taking a high level overview um of the security industry in general um i'm jason i host different episodes of this and we will be focusing today speaking to billy govea the ceo and founder of surefire cyber um this episode will chat on incident response trends cyber insurance entrepreneurship and in general transitioning into technology and cybersecurity as a u.s veteran um so with that i would like to turn it over to billy um to explain a little bit about why we're on this podcast today, how you came up within the industry and where you are within Surefire Cyber.
1: Awesome. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate that. And uh, great to be with you today. Um, and really look forward to just talking through what we're seeing in the market. I mean, uh, one of the things that I think is a interesting vantage point is we see what didn't work in cybersecurity. So every week we take in, you know, 10 to 20 different um response events ranging from ransomware to business email compromise to crypto jacking to credential stuffing to denial of service to, you know, IP theft and things like that. And um, it's a very dynamic field and we're seeing a very quick evolution in threat actor behavior and and in the different tactics, techniques and procedures that they use. But, um, you know, what that also affords us is a a perspective uh, to help security leaders understand what does work. Yep. Right, and I look forward to talking uh, through all that uh, with you today. But really, great to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's lots of different topics for us to kind of touch on. You just mentioned different areas of IR, and I'm I'm curious to to dig a bit deeper into that. And I think that could be a really good starting point for us. So, so with that in mind, right, incident response is probably um, one of the most evolving areas of cybersecurity, I would say. Um, so, with that in mind, what are the trends that we're seeing right now? what's maybe been a bit more recent in 2023 compared to previous years? And, and what are the trends that we're going to be looking after next year as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a, a couple, a couple of thoughts. thoughts. Um, one is the, the threats that we're facing today are going to be here with us for a long time. As long yeah. as three fundamental conditions are true. One, if cybercrime is easy to commit, and I can unpack what I mean by that. Two, if it's very lucrative, and yeah. if you look at the ransomware numbers, it certainly is very lucrative. Certainly. And three, if it can be done with impunity. And so, when I think about where we are uh, in the response uh, space today, Jason, um, it, it's clear that there was a big shift with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yep. And that took away any chance of reducing the impunity lever, right? Um. And it also disrupted threat actor groups and led to a, a um, reduction in um, in cyber attacks for a period of time. And you know the way I characterize the uh, the pre-invasion threat landscape is, uh, as it relates to ransomware specifically, is we're contending with a number of dragons. There are a half dozen or so groups driving most of the activity, and they were easy to predict, they were easy to to deal with, you could anticipate their movements, still very, very dangerous, right? But when we were um, involved in in helping an organization through one of their events or perhaps having to negotiate with these groups, there was enough pattern of behavior that we could understand how they would um, would conduct um, that ransomware event, right? right after after the invasion um those those dragons disintegrated and we then were faced with a bunch of different snakes right so we had uh code reuse right some very sloppy um encryption tools you know a lot of struggles with with decryption in times uh, yeah. very unpredictable uh, negotiating behaviors very erratic demands right see so a small organization with a 20 million dollar demand or a large organization with an 8000 dollar demand a lot more different difficult to anticipate and so where we are now is that um there have been a few uh dragon groups that have re-coalesced, but there's still a lot of snakes um in the in the threat landscape, if that if that metaphor makes sense. And so yeah, it's, it's much more predictable, it's much more difficult to predict and much more dynamic uh, for our responders to contend with.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: that is
0: Definitely um in a lot to unpack there. I guess going off of that, then at the very end you mentioned it's a lot more for, for responders to contend with, right? So um I guess what are responders doing now to contend with these things and and what are some of the technical competencies that people have had to learn over the more recent months to be able to to successfully deal with these incidents?
1: Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um let me layer layer on. Um another consideration is uh, AI right and we're seeing generative AI being used by threat actor groups um phishing is certainly much more mature Yeah, we, we can no longer rely on uh poor grammar to help us detect uh, phishing emails right yep um in the um negotiations themselves if you if we look at the transcripts it's, it's clear that chat GPT has um, has generated um, some of the negotiation transcripts that we're seeing from the threat actors. Wow. Um, yeah, we're we're also seeing um, you know times when threat actors will use um, generative AI to develop uh, code to um, make certain exploits easier or more difficult to detect. So you know there's there's um, certainly been a jump in threat actor capability as the ease of attacks, as I mentioned earlier right as ease of attacks becomes um ever more in- increasingly easy
0: absolutely um and you mentioned obviously like you're you're seeing that that language is created in chat gpt is it is it what's the right way to even put this i feel as though when people are using chat gpt at least you know for business practice and, and what we do you can kind yeah. of tell right you can sure. see when something has that chat gpt-esque writing to it um yes. is that the case in your world like how, how do you kind of decipher that then
1: yeah i mean it's 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 very much just um you know ha- having the eye of an informed reader and recognizing like hmm the um the polish of our uh threat actors communication style just went way up yeah yeah and yeah and there's a lot more detail than i've ever seen before Yep. And then you know we'll we'll run things through certain models and be like, hmm, that's really interesting. So, you know, for example, um, it, it's pretty common when we're negotiating to use very short phrases, uh, very, you know, avoid avoid long words. We'll run it through Google Translate a couple of times, you know, in both directions to make sure it comes back okay. Cause yep. we really want to minimize uh, the potential for for misunderstanding. Um and so uh, you know, similarly. When we, um, when we see threat actors, I, I mean, I doubt they got master's degrees in English literature. All of a sudden, right? <laughs> of course. So I, I think I think it's just the nature of that. But the the, the more the more troubling trend is the use of AI to uh, enhance uh, scripting and better enable exploits or uh, minimize detection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I guess on the other side of the fence then, right? Are the responders then able to to leverage AI and and their ways of of combating the bad guys and the bad girls? Like sure. is does it work the other way or is it more so the adversaries
1: that are able to utilize it? I mean it it's clear that cybersecurity is an asymmetric challenge, right? Yep. I mean, you know, the the uh threat actors have to be right once, the defenders have to be right every time. Um but well that's you know the uh, maturity of edr tools the maturity of um, threat intelligence tools is is really heightened um you know um, immensely over the last few years right and you know AI has has been a, a key driver of that so um I think we're we're getting to a point where we're gonna have uh robots battling over the defense of our networks wow um... I use robots uh globally <laughs> Not yeah,
0: protected. no, I, I I hear you. It's 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 an interesting time. Um, I guess with that in mind, then obviously like we're going to see an increase or in a continuous need for these security practitioners and people, um, to jump into the field because yeah, these events are going nowhere. Um, it's going to keep happening. So, I guess with the adoption of AI, that yeah, we'll we'll see more and more of it. Um, and with that in mind, then obviously like organizations need to make sure that they are backed up, right? IR and uh, cyber insurance are going to go hand in hand. Um, I think that's a topic that we should chat about a little bit. Um, So like, it's something that I've been seeing a lot on LinkedIn. A lot of thought leaders are chatting about it. I would really want your take on it. Like when an organization is going to essentially choose a cyber insurance policy. What are the factors that should be in place? What, uh, what should they consider? Um, talk to me a little bit about your, your overview and thoughts on tra- cyber insurance.
1: Sure. And, and just to provide a little context, um, we work very closely with insurers to handle, uh, to handle their, their cyber claims. Right. So, I mean, we have a, a, that perspective on the market, um, uh, yep. and every day we're working shoulder to shoulder with, uh, insurance companies, the law firms with whom they partner yep. um, and in many cases, the, the brokers as well in order to support organizations through events, right? Mm-hmm. So um, a few thoughts. One is 90 something percent of an organization's cyber focus measured in dollars, measured in, in effort, measured in board minutes is around reducing risk likelihood, right? Correct. Um, I think it's quite prudent for organizations to focus on what they can do to re, re, uh, reduce risk magnitude, right? And so, um, you know, that starts by working out how you're gonna transfer risk and, and how you're gonna get access to resources to help you um, manage the likelihood of an event should there be one, right? And any any study that looks at uh, the percentage of organizations affected by cybercrime, particularly ransomware, um, over the last couple of years indicates that the likelihood um, is is rather high. You know, I've seen all, all kinds of different numbers, but all of them are deep into the double digits, right? Um, and you know, one thing that that's often mistaken is um, cyber insurance does more than just transfer the risk; it also provides access to. Uh, experts to help you with that. So, I, you know, I mentioned the law firms, I mentioned the response firms like Surefire. Yep. Um, also, um, you know, forensic accounting experts to help you measure the business interruption and the, the loss there, uh, crisis communication firms. There's a, a whole suite of capabilities you can get from your cyber insurer, right? So when asking that question around um, how to how to go about thinking about it, I think it's important to first work closely with your broker to determine Correct. how much coverage you need And then two, work very carefully with the broker and the underwriter to help create a clear picture of your risk posture. And then three, to really give some thought to what the policy covers and have a clear understanding of of what's included, right? I mean, a lot of of policies um, might have what are referred to as sublimits for ransomware coverage. So you might have a million dollar policy, but you know, a hundred thousand dollars sublimit on a ransom payment for things like that. It's important to understand what all those dimensions are, so you know yeah. exactly what you're buying. Yeah.
0: And then
1: fourth, figure out um, as you as you go through your incident response plan and uh, and exercise that. Think about what are the trigger points to notify your your broker and your carrier of an event. Figure out how you're going to get access to legal resources, access to technical forensic resources, and things like that. And just walk walk through that that whole chain. But look at your carrier as a partner not just a payer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I think that I mean I know for a fact I I've spoke to leaders as well that have expressed similar sentiments. Um in terms of the risk that an organization faces you me- you, you mentioned risk posture before, right? Um sure. like in in my world I'm working with some of the largest organizations in the world, Fortune 10 companies um as well as really small startups talking 10 people in a company all the way through a hundred thousand or maybe not a hundred thousand, but 50,000 people, right. Um, Different organizations have different risk postures. How do we go about assessing that? Um, I guess, you know, for a smaller company specifically, what are some of those areas that they might be a bit more susceptible um, in, in kind of how does that then tie into cyber insurance as well?
1: Yeah. Thanks. Um, So and think about that question. I want to draw back uh, to the conversation we just had about AI. Yep. Right? This, this concept of the cyber cyber poverty line, right? Small organizations can't afford all these things we're talking about, right? Correct. One of the things that AI is is doing is driving more capabilities to a cheaper and cheaper price point. And so, my hope is that just like a small organization can afford. Um, you know, the full suite of Microsoft capabilities through 365 or Google capabilities through G Suite or whatever. Yep. Um, You know, it'll be much easier for small organizations to tap into the cybersecurity capabilities they need uh, through AI, right? Um, It's, you know, there used to be this line of like companies that can afford a SOC and companies that can't, right? Yep. Um, that, That line has not only moved down, but become a less relevant thing because of the, the changing nature of uh, how a SOC performs, right? Um, so I, I hope that helps in, inform uh, the, the question. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very, very positive about the advances in technology, the advances in tooling. But the reality is um, when thinking about any organization, there's only a few fundamental things to protect. Okay. And so, just thinking about, um, you know, no matter what type of organization you are, or what size you are, or what uh, industry you're in, or what geography you're in, um, most organizations uh, face the reality that data is their DNA, right? Well so, put. what data they need to protect from what, um, and by whom, and then who's accountable for that? I think if you if you start there, you can you can uh, credibly build your posture. Yep, and um, you know, just use sound practices. It doesn't have to be as complicated as uh, a lot of security experts make it make it sound. So much of this just has to do with fundamental hygiene, and I think we're getting better at managing our um, technical security posture in our personal lives. Right? You know, installing upgrades and things like that, um, using multi factor authentication for our personal bank logins. It's yep. the same principles. The yep. same um, hygiene practices to apply corporately. So if someone's accountable about thinking about that DNA um, and how to protect that data, uh, it's, I think it's quite easy to make demonstrable gains.
0: Makes a ton of sense to me. And you you, you touched on a really interesting point that I kind of want to dive into a little bit more. So... So you mentioned, I guess, a better security hygiene in our personal lives, right? And in, in like the audience for this particular podcast, we're going to have a lot of people that are security practitioners. They live and breathe it. They're passionate about it. Um, but we might have some people that are tuning in that aren't aren't in security, right? They they might be in total different industries. Um, so for people that you know might not be as exposed to cybersecurity as as we are. What are some of those practices that people can implement in their in, in their daily lives to be more secure um in and, and
1: more just cyber conscious? Yep. Yep. And and the um the phone call I received directly before this one was from an 80 year old relative who says, I think all my photos are stolen. Take a picture of of that email and send it to me. And I looked at the URL. I'm sorry, I looked at the uh the send address and it was just some crazy address. you didn't get on with your life right it's everything's fine you know Yep. so um i think you know the reason i bring that bring that up jason is um you know this this person had a sense of wariness around like i don't know if this is real or not right so just like when someone knocks at our door we'd want to get a sense of who it is before we open it right correct um just like when you get an email, like let's just make sure we we have some sense of its legitimacy before we we open it and start clicking on stuff, right? Um, and so you know, October cybersecurity awareness month. We're at a point where everyone's aware of cybersecurity. That's great. We mean so so let's then focus on uh what we should do about that, right? Yep. But it wasn't that long ago when um it was a very poorly understood and perhaps vague concept, right? So I think in terms of the, the foundational things that are, that are really easy to do, like, um, validate that, you know, who an email is coming from, look at that send address, right? Um, validate that the website you're going to is actually the one that you want to go to, right? Look at your bank's website URL and make sure it has that little lock at the top, uh, top yep. left. Right. Um, I mentioned multi-factor authentication, you know, go through the step of getting the text message or, uh, going to the app to, to enter a code, um, that not only provides another form of authentication, but also is a bit of a speed bump to help us slow down and make sure we're we're being conscious about things, which is key. And then, um, you know, the last piece of advice that I just offer in in general is, uh, use really long passwords. Yeah. Right. You know, the threat used to be, can someone guess my cat's name, right? But um, now it's uh, it's so easy to run through so many different password combinations. Um, and if you think about, you know, you can run through every six-digit combination in a few seconds. Right. If you have a 20-digit combination, it takes, you know, many weeks to run through all those, right? Yeah. So it's a really long password.
0: That makes sense.
1: Um, I actually saw a graphic on LinkedIn. It was some
0: really intricate chart about like the amount of characters, capital letters, lowercase letters, all these different ways that you can create a password, right? Um, and it was pretty much the length that, that it would take for, um, I don't know if it was even AI or, or adversaries in general to be able to figure that password out. Um, so, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. That's something that I'm super conscious of in my in my own personal cyber hygiene. And obviously, being a, a cyber recruiter for the past four years, like it's it's opened my eyes to these things, honestly. Um, you know, I think that that's one thing that i really like um about the the market and area that i recruit in is i i i would like to think of myself as somebody that's pretty security conscious and overall yeah. so um i think that integrates really nicely with the people that i network with day to day um and everything that you just mentioned right there um
1: so this all makes sense to me and and thank you for that billy yeah of course and and uh let's just um do a quick test on how cyberific you are jason um uh- what go. what is what is your password? I'm just interested in learning how long it is.
0: So it's Billy at surefire123 with an exclamation point. But the exclamation point's there, of course. Oh good. So it has a complexity. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. What I <laughs> yeah. I like it. I
1: like it. Exactly. And,
0: it. Yeah, there you go. But um, no. Um, I I definitely have a uh a couple of them and I change it up a little. Different passwords for different platforms, super conscious of it. But thank you for that again. Um as we approach probably the the back end of the episode, one thing that I definitely wanted to touch on, Billy, was was the concept of of entrepreneurship within cybersecurity. Um, in your background, right, coming from a previous firm in a high level security leadership role, to then to then pivot, take that next step, and and really build out a security company, um, you know, that has a lot to it. There's different challenges, different um, areas that you have to navigate. Talk to me a little bit about the thought process in doing it. What led you to kind of pulling the trigger on doing it and, and the different pros and cons of it?
1: Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I'll say that we're still very much uh, building out our firm. I, I think um, we're in the third inning as far as things things go. It, it's been uh, just a tremendous experience and I'm really grateful for, uh, for yep. the opportunity to, to do this. I, I guess when I think about entrepreneurship, um It's really important to reflect very deeply on why you want to build a company, right? The the world didn't need another response firm. I was just um, of the view that there's a lot of great companies in our market, but there are some structural problems that um, demanded new market participants to address, right? Which is another way of saying uh, current companies that are already doing things successfully don't have the same impetus to change necessarily, right? And so well um, I thought that there are some changes that would improve the outcomes that those hit by cybercrime uh, deserved and demanded. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, find find the right support and the right coaching to allow me to to build this out. But, you know, when I think about entrepreneurs and uh, talk to people that are um, in different stages of the process or, or considering it say um really work out clarity of of purpose right and why uh, why you want to build a firm and um what's going to make you proud um as as that firm develops and then keep that as a touchstone um to to come back to and you know it's something we talk about internally all the time right yeah. it's just uh you know hey i'm really pleased to have had the opportunity to Help hundreds of organizations through these events. The work that we do is um, deeply meaningful, and it's an honor to be called in to help companies uh, through a crisis situation, and in some instances, in, in some instances, uh, an existential uh, situation. So, yeah, um, you know, I think um, that's a big it's a big part of our why, right? Yeah. And I think that has helped um, not only give us focus, but also uh, give us energy as we go forward. Absolutely.
0: Um, you, yeah, I mean, it's powerful. I, I, I like what you mentioned kind of with, with the organization's ethos, right. Keeping that at the core of what you're doing and, um, keeping that reminding, reminding that to the different employees in the organization at all levels at all levels as well. Um, when, when you opened up that answer, you mentioned that surefire, like there's lots of IR firms out there. Surefire are able to, you know, essentially come in and, 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 Execute similar work, but maybe there are a couple of uh, different practices that are going to help differentiate what you guys are doing compared to um, a couple of different types of firms out there. What are what are some of the things that your fire are doing right now that that might be a bit more cutting edge and um, you know uh, different, and what's what's going to cause the waves in the industry there?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, it starts with our our use of technology and. Our, our focus on scripting together a number of tools to accelerate the process, which um, we're hopeful can lead us to provide a faster set of outcomes, right? So, you know, if we can provide forensic findings within a day or two versus a week or two, you know, it takes a lot of stress out of, um, out of the event. For that organization going through that, it reduces their business interruption, and allows them to get back in business, and provide products and services upon which we all depend. Um, it um, it reduces the cost of claim for the cyber carriers. Uh, providing that, it also changes the role of our responders, right? So we think about this is such a talent focused field, as yep. as you know very well, absolutely. Um, and I think if we can um, scale through scripting and allow. Automation to execute a number of the repeatable tasks. It changes the role of our experts. Yep. To being less focused on, um, you know, executing the forensic acquisition, triage, analysis, and a lot more on guiding clients through a set of difficult decisions, and then helping Correct. to um, improve their security posture, fortify their defenses, and figure out what they need to do going forward.
0: Makes a ton of sense to me. Um, yeah, I think that. As you said, like there are going to be different areas within automation in in I guess helping improve those timeframes, right? So if Surefire are in a position where it's taking one or two days and I guess instead of a a week, that can have some serious um, implications on an organization and and help them get to a point where, yeah, they're they're back to operating at a normal pace. So um, love to hear that. Um, Yeah, I do think the industry needs more and more of that. And when I speak to security leaders, especially after they've gone through an incident, um, yeah, I I hear all too often that it takes way too much time to get back to even a half decent place. So um, glad to hear that surefire are, are, are helping accelerate these timeframes. Um, obviously you, you mentioned before surefire seemed to be in the third inning, but um, at least from my perspective, I would say um, looks like a bit further in the game. Um, we might touch on some baseball topics later on as well, but um, I don't want to get too upset talking about baseball yet just yet
1: (laughs) yeah i'm surprised your password uh wasn't wasn't about the red sox um so if you don't mind uh what are you seeing in the market where you know what is the cyber talent picture look like what's what's that landscape
0: yeah i mean the market right now we first off we need more security practitioners at the end of the day um, we need to get people from different backgrounds interested in security. Um, we need to get people that that want to, to get into it, and we need to reduce the barriers to get there. Um, what am I seeing as the most in-demand skill sets? I mean, right now, um, cloud security is going to be fundamentally important. Um, my colleagues and I ran a report on the last 100 jobs that we have filled. Um, this was two weeks ago we ran this report. Um, and I think it was like 72 or 73 of them um, to some capacity where were, were, we're quite, quite cloud focused, right? So individuals that can come in and secure different cloud environments. We have, I mean, at this point, most organizations are going to be in the cloud, right? Whether it's a hybrid environment or, or a fully cloud environment. Um, so practitioners that can come in, make sure that it's secure that that the data is in the right places. Um, that's 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 super important. And that's both from a technical level, people that are able to implement cloud security tooling as well as a high level architectural uh, perspective, right? People focusing on the different frameworks and security protocols and all that. Um, so cloud security, one that's super important, obviously incident response, but we've chatted um, a ton about that throughout the episode. Um, I would also say the ability to combine software engineering and cybersecurity. Um, I mean, my God, that is a challenge in itself, but people that can write the code understand kind of how to write it in, in the most secure manner, um, how to break down code as well um how to exploit code and find the vulnerabilities in it that's that's not going anywhere um so so yeah obviously this all then ties in into the wider cyber ecosystem right um but but yeah that's a little bit about that and i'm sure that probably ties into your world and what you see within both you know internally at truefire and your clientele um that was a pretty long-winded response but
1: so that all makes great, sense great yeah that's right um you know, one of the things that, as I reflect on on your comments, is they're all technical in nature. Yeah. Right. Um, what advice? I mean, and I think I think the work that you do is uh, so important, not only to help organizations get better at cyber, but but also just to help people in their careers and help them in their lives. Ultimately, give, yeah. You know how important work is in in uh, in terms of, of our life. Um, what advice would you give candidates? A, who are very technical about improving their um, their soft skills. Great question. Um,
0: I would say, get out there, um, speak to different people that are doing the jobs that you want to do or have the success that you want to have and ask them how they got there. Ask um you know how they go about interacting with different people within their organization and that's not just within a security team that's asking them how they communicate with people on the operation side on the administrative side like right I think communication is one of the most important things so being able to understand different patterns of communication different people's ways about it um that's that's super helpful um I think just doing research in general right like um if you are able to, research and understand what's the right i'm trying to think i don't want to butcher the wording here but like if you're able to research and understand um you could say different ways of learning a topic right so a lot of the time i'll be asking people questions in, in quite technical screenings um and i can tell when somebody doesn't quite know the answer but what i think is more powerful is saying hey um what i would do to find out this information is i would go to this source and i would ask this person or i would read this book or i would read this blog right um so being continuously hungry to learn more um finding that information and in, in knowing how you would find the info that's super helpful as well does does, th- does that help answer again might be a yeah. bit long-winded
1: no some great points and you know it, it's it's clear that uh Communication is the hardest thing that we do as human beings. But your your last point I, it brings to mind an interview with uh, a, a colleague I've had the fortune of working with for some years now. I remember asking her a question, um, and it was it was clear her answer was a, a bit soft. Right. So she reached out the next day and said, "Hey, I was up late last night. I taught myself the the skill. I want to I want to answer that question again. That's amazing." Okay. Yeah, yeah, just stop, you're hired. Like that was, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and that ability to learn and that ability to dig in and uh, and just uh, develop skills dynamically given how dynamic the landscape that uh, we've been discussing is.
0: 100%. So listeners, if you're hearing this, if you're interested in Surefire Cyber, um, even if you don't know the answer to a question, reach back out to Billy and say, yeah. hey, this is how I would find the info and your likelihood of getting that job is going to go from here to
1: here. Boom. There you go. Um, there you go. Billy, so I, you. You, I'm oh, sorry, sorry, say that again. Uh, one more question for you. Yeah. I understand that uh, you've been retained to find the chief baseball, baseball officer of the Red Sox. <laughs> That's awesome. How do you feel about that? Uh, I. Um, it's a tough job. It's a tough.
0: Nobody wants to uh, be a leader of uh, that type of team. Uh <laughs> no um listen I can sit here and and talk about the rivals all day but I I can't bad, ma- bad mouth them because this year was just as bad for my Yankees um yeah I I don't even know I I guess yeah let's take a step back from cyber for the next minute or two we'll chat about baseball how optimistic are you next year do you think the Sox can eclipse like eighty six or eighty seven wins like what's best case scenario for you guys next year.
1: Our teams have committed baseball malpractice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They have. We Both just wanna teams. have fun watching uh watching our rivalry again. And I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's next year, Jason. Right. So yeah. until then we sit in October, um, go Orioles. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, so it's uh it it's been bumpy, but um a lot of great, you know, a lot of great memories and, and great years in the past to draw from. Yeah, so, absolutely. I'm going to watch some old old clips in November cuz uh, you know. that's <laughs> all, all I'll
0: have. So. No, I, I hear you loud and clear. Um I in a way, yeah, I um I guess I will be kind of rooting for the Os. They're a fun young team. Um but times are tough for both my Yankees and your Red Sox. Um not sure kind of who steps into that next that that next leadership role for the Sox, but but hey, um I did respect what Bloom did. Um so uh We'll see. A lot of unanswered questions, but but um I always appreciate the the good Yankees sox banter that, that 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 we can have in um everything that that we're able to bring to the table on that. Um Billy, the very last thing that I wanted to touch on, um in and I mentioned this in the intro, so it's important that we briefly chat about it, right? You you come from a, a US Army background, um, is, is is a captain, right? Um I think that a lot of the people that I speak to transitioning into cybersecurity, security um, quite often we see people um, transitioning from from a us military background. What are some what are some specific tips like there's lots of skill bridge uh, practices out there and programs, but what are tips for people transitioning what are some of the soft skills that they can leverage to be able to then. Um, effectively work in more of I guess you could say a corporate security environment and, and, and how can they go about doing that. yeah
1: thanks um a few thoughts come to mind one is. I feel like as a veteran, I'm part of the biggest and best fraternity in the world. And we need to help each other. Yep. Right. Like, um, you know, there's many times when I'll see a resume of somebody who's not quite qualified uh, coming out of the the service. I mean, the skills just don't line up. But I I still want to reach out and and try to be helpful. And similarly, so many veterans have helped me um, along along my path right and um you know we have a few veterans on our on our board and you know i I think um, you know i'm just so so grateful that they understand a bit about where i'm coming from right for sure um so you know that's that's the first thing uh the second is um some people see the challenge of translating their military skills into the commercial sector as as a drawback and i think what, what you know it's also a great strength Right. And there's a lot right. to, to draw from that. And, and that has to do with a certain mindset, a certain, I mean, I think about the work that, that we do every day is at its core crisis management, well right? Put. And so just understanding how to keep a perspective on things, understanding how to operate through stressful situations, that's something that I can count on most veterans to do very well. Right. Yep. But there's also this tenacity that I, I feel like is is part of um, that mindset. And that's a, that's a great attribute. And so what I'd encourage uh, veterans to think about is um, use those strengths, talk about those strengths, you know, uh, portray them as exactly that. And don't think about um, the translation uh, challenge as a, as a drawback, think of it as an, an opportunity to take what, um, what you've done uh, to keep us safe and free yep. and uh, use it to help organizations stay secure.
0: 100 percent um i yeah i respect that mentality i can agree with that mentality um and, and thank you for that i think that there will be people listening to this very episode that that can benefit from hearing that and it's super important to uh hear somebody like like yourself mention that um yeah like it's it's really fulfilling in my line of work being able to place people into different roles and help them achieve that next spot in their life right that that next step um specifically when i'm when i'm placing people that are uh transitioning out that that are u.s veter- that that are u.s veterans like it's it's that's even a bit more fulfilling right um those are always the really feel good placements knowing that you made that impact um and and yeah um it's super helpful to understand i guess or approach it with that mentality of look at it as i guess yeah um a skill rather than a challenge um thanks billy <laughs>